All right. I'm trying to contain myself. I've entitled this message today, Emmanuel Never Left. And I did so because God put it in my heart a few weeks ago to talk about and remind everyone in this season of busyness that he never left. The fact that we need to be reminded occasionally is just part of humanity. And so many people are out there scurrying about today doing their last day of shopping, since this is December 24th. And I, for one, beat the, I beat the crowd. I usually wait till December 24th. I got mine done December 22nd, so, you know, I mean, I'm way ahead. So, as I said, for the last couple of weeks, the Holy Spirit's been messing with me about Emmanuel never left. So that's what I did title this message that Emmanuel never left. And we talked about, we were talking about a little bit about the busyness of the season and how we get wrapped up in it and stressed out, frustrated, all these unwritten family rules and expectations. And for those of us, for those of us who just want to, to just hang with Jesus, that's even more stressful. How do we, you know, I, well, I got X amount of grandkids and I got to treat them all the same because um, I don't want to be accused of favoritism. And you got siblings and you go, wow. And so, it, so there's just this sense of pressure that comes this time of year. So God, I think, just wanted us to remind us of essentials and basics. The first of which is the birth is not about a single event. It's about an ongoing event that has never ended. It launched what's called the Incarnation. And we're going to talk about the Incarnation today. But the incarnational event of the birth is the singular starting point that continues even to today. And in Trinitarian theology, it, it's important to know that this is a continuing thing because that means we can relax because God's got this, he's got this thing moving. He's got us in the midst of our darkness moving towards light, always gently prodding, always revealing, having flashes of aha. And so we're just going to go back through some of that today, but we're going to come at it from a little different perspective. You see that picture that we have up here, the picture of the the manger scene with the wise men and the animals and the baby Jesus means different things to different people. What does it mean to you? Birth of a Savior. It's a visual representation to the world that can't grab a spiritual. Okay. It's a visual representation to a world of a spiritual event. God's love for his children. Controversy in our society. Controversy in our society. Depending on who, who you are and what your perspective is, that can that can invoke a lot of emotion. Lawsuits are filed every year over displays as the atheists are trying to scream there is no God. And so they're trying to attack they're trying to attack God by using the government. They just don't see it that way, but that's what they're trying to do. And so there's a lot that goes into this from our side of it. And 
if we truly don't understand the significance of this, what got started here, we are always going to feel like we're missing something. Which then, if you feel like you're missing something, what happens? You start being driven to find out what you're missing. And in that drivenness, some people give up and they turn to drugs. They turn to alcohol. They turn to other things that the traditional church calls sinful behaviors that can then they get labeled and then they feel even more isolated. They feel condemned. They feel all these things that God never wanted us to feel. Right? I mean, does God want us to feel condemned? No. Does he want us to feel isolated? No. But yet it happens. And it happens because we really don't understand in the fullness of time what happened at this at this moment. We know from the scriptures that at, at the precise appointed moment Jesus came in the flesh what does that mean Emmanuel Emmanuel, God with us did he ever leave his divinity no but to some people this child born is just a good man he was a good man he was a prophet he was very wise but he wasn't God if you separate his divinity from his humanity, you've undercut the entire gospel message. There is no gospel hope for those who, who do that. I mean, it's, the hope is still there, but their perception of that hope is not there, so they're going to continue to be driven. And we have to always remember that God incarnate, God with us is always Jesus fully human, fully God. How else could God come and destroy the darkness that was triggered by Adam? How else could he get into the depth of the soul of a person and expose the soul and what's going on in that darkness to truth if he wasn't one of us? Because we would always go, well, God, you're just up here. If he wasn't fully human, we'd go, God, you're just up here. You just don't understand what I'm going through. But in his humanity, he experienced everything we experience. He has experienced everything. So if you go, God, you just don't get it, he's going to go, really? What do you mean I don't get it? I really got it at the cross. Because every... Every single dark act, event, sin, whatever you want to call it, he experienced in that moment. And so for you to say, you don't get it, Jesus, he's going to go, yeah, I do, really. You just don't understand. Let me help you understand. And so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to start with Matthew one twenty three. Behold, a virgin shall be with a child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. Now, God with us, if you just hear that, what does that suggest? If, you, if you're out there in the public and you know God's with us, and you don't really have an understanding of, of God, but you say God's with us, what's the first thing you're going to think of? Jesus, my buddy, is with me over here. He's with me. 
but it's more than him over here walking next to me. It's much deeper than that. See, there's four key words in there. Emmanuel, God, with, and us. And I want to kind of take a look at those because you know me, Like sometimes I like to get Greekly oriented or Hebrewly oriented. And so I'm just going to do it today. Emmanuel, the Greek word, Emmanuel, and the title given to the Messiah used one time in the New Testament in this one verse. does not appear in the rest of the New Testament. The Hebrew word counterpart is Emmanuel. And we were talking about, Norm and I were talking a little bit earlier. The New King James translates it Emmanuel. Excuse me, the King James. The New King James, Emmanuel. The Hebrew translates it with the I. And so some of the writers, or some of the translators, swept the Hebrew. But it's really Emmanuel. And we see in the Old Testament, the counterpart... In Isaiah seven fourteen, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And he shall pass through Judah, his, he shall overflow and go over, he shall reach even to the neck, and the stretching out of the wings shall fill the breath of thy land, O Emmanuel. In other words, his reach is vast. There's no limit to the reach of Emmanuel. To the, to the existence of Emmanuel. And in Isaiah 8.10 it says, Take counsel together and it shall come to naught. Speak the word and it shall not stand, for God is with us. And I actually picked that one even though it doesn't use the word Emmanuel, but I looked at that phrase, God is with us, because that's the translation, the exact translation of the name Emmanuel. God is with us. So we're not, Jesus didn't come to introduce a new concept in Matthew 1. His birth did not in, did not set off a new thought. It is the culmination of thousands of years of history of God working with humanity from the garden to the moment that the son who will crush the serpent's head is born, the offspring. And so all through the Old Testament, God is is moving in the darkness of humanity into the depravity of man's thoughts at that point into the wickedness of man, into the goodness of man, into the joy of man. All of these things God is moving in to get to the point of God with us. But we really don't understand yet what God with us fully means. God, Theos, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When the translate, when, when it says God with us, it means the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with us, not just Jesus. I don't know about you, but in my early days, it was all about Jesus, and I didn't know much about the Holy Spirit, and I didn't know much about the Father. The Father was a really strange concept for me. I was comfortable in the Jesus box. I got more comfortable in the Holy Spirit box, but it took me 20 years to get comfortable in the Father box. Why? Because we don't teach the triune God anymore as a general concept. We don't teach the Trinity. We emphasize Jesus. We emphasize that He died for your sin. And it's all about get 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 out of hell. But we miss the joy of the Trinity. The joy of relationship. If God is with us, we are in relationship with all three 100% all the time. 
And so one moment you might be talking to the Holy Spirit, but you're actually talking to all three. One moment you might be talking to Jesus, you're actually talking to all three. I used to struggle. Who do I pray to? Do I pray to the Father? Do I pray to the Son? Do I pray to the Holy Spirit? It doesn't matter because they're all three with us. But back in the law days, you got to get it just right. If you're supposed to pray to Jesus and you pray to the Holy Spirit, you're not going to get any results. And that's for you Jeopardy fans is the place where you go, "Eh." (laughs) time out. With, four-letter word, with. The Greek word is meta. Ah, we've heard meta as part of metanoia, right? But the word meta, with, after, behind, accompaniment, in the midst of, denoting association, union, and accompaniment. God with us. God in the midst of us. Because the us is human, from which humanity comes from, our, we, us. God with us, in us, amidst us. You do not take a breath apart from God. And not because He's out here breathing life into you, it's because He's inside of you breathing life through you. And that's the shift that we've been walking through the last couple of years in grace. And as we've begun the, recently to cry out, God, how do I walk this out? Part of it is understanding that every step I take is the Spirit of God taking it with me often prompting me to take the step. I, take, I do nothing apart from God. So even when I'm having a dark moment in my life, God's still there. Even when I was on the operating table, totally unconscious for whatever period of time that was, God was still there. He didn't take a coffee break because I was unconscious. He didn't go to get a donut. He just goes, I mean, he's talking to my spirit. I'm here. I'm here. I may not be consciously aware of it, but I'm here. We're in this together. We'll walk this out together. And when I'm coming out and I'm beginning to feel sensation and I'm hearing them talking and I'm hearing them talking about other things and it's like, you know, there's still peace because I'm here. We're here together. We're so interconnected. You know, just as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit cannot be broken apart at this point because of what Jesus started with his birth, we cannot be broken apart either. We can walk in darkness, but we cannot be separated. There's a difference. Confused looks? Maybes? We'll talk about it some more. God with us. What does this truly mean? The root word that we have to study, it's really about the incarnation. And the root word for is incarnate, which is to make flesh. And the word incarnation means the act of being made flesh. So when Jesus was born, he was incarnated. He, was in the, he went through the act of being made flesh. Flesh being human form, human body, human emotions, human will, human mindset. And at that moment, when all this was going on, it was a pretty dark time in the world. 
the Romans ruled most of the civilized world and they were brutal. They, ru they ruled with brutality. That's how they maintained control. Hundreds, if not thousands of gods people worshipped. And the Jewish people, the Hebrews that God had selected, Jesus even says to the Pharisees, you don't even know the Father. You don't even know God. All you know is the rules and the regulations. They had lost sight of God. You know, and, and we can talk another day, but I just sort of, you know, I, I sort of pondered, well, God, why did you pick the, why did you pick the Hebrews? Why did you come through Abraham? And it was really God picked the people so he could display certain concepts through to show the need for the incarnate Christ. Why not the Canaanites? Why, why Abraham? Why not the Canaanites? I don't know. He just picked somebody. Now, he sees the beginning from the end and he knows how the pieces fit. But from my side of it, why them? They, they made more mistakes than all the big losers on Jeopardy combined. <laughs> but he didn't panic and he wasn't freaked because he knew there was something coming. See, in the, in the garden, Adam and Eve, spirit to spirit with God, full connectedness. Adam makes the choice. Darkness falls. We've talked about how that veil of darkness, that veil of deception came. And it would be a few more years after the birth event before that veil is totally ripped. But this was the start of it. And so we have to come to, we have to realize that when God came in the flesh, it was the way that he, he could come and he could identify with us in our darkness. Because up until then, he wasn't experiencing our human emotions. He wasn't freaked by them, but he wasn't experiencing them. I have a question. Yeah. Well, if he created us and knew us, why wouldn't he feel that when, because he made us? Because he didn't create us for those emotions. He created Adam to be full of joy, full of peace full of happiness, full of love, not darkness. And so when Adam made that choice and darkness came, what happens is when we don't understand something or when something shifts, God gives us an imagination, right? And we know Adam had a pretty vivid imagination because he named all the animals. So when Adam sensed there was something happened after he ate, his first thing his, where his imagination took him was to fear and to shame and that God was now going to be angry. He didn't get that from God. That came from him working it up internally. That sense of separation came from Adam working it up internally. God didn't work it up in him. God didn't pronounce separation on him. And so for thousands of years thereafter, mankind is always taking his imagination to try to make sense of, that, of what feels off. And internally, there was always that sense of there had to be something more than what was going on. And so what's the imagination do when it runs wild? It perpetuates the darkness. So how does God get into the darkness? He becomes one of us. 
And we, we can talk about at Easter that as he became one of us in, and began to interact with darkness to b- bring the light, the ultimate act of coming into full understanding and full reconciliation was at the death when he went into the abyss, to the pit. Because that we sent him there. Humanity sent him there. And that was the place where he could fully say to humanity now, you did your worst, and here I come with the best. The best is obviously his light. But we have this incarnation, and we always, always, always have to remember he's God and he's man. Because the minute we separate the two, we now have defeated the unity that he's, or we've destroyed the unity that he's trying to build. We've set it off because now he's up here and we're over here. And so Jesus is always fully human, fully man. And because he was fully human as a representative of humanity, when he died, we could, he could literally say we died with him. Because humanity died that day. The, the Adamic nature died that day. And when he said we were, Paul says we're, we were co-buried, co-crucified, co-buried, co-rose, and co-ascended, it's because of the humanity of Jesus. The full, complete unity of humanity with, with God. And so we literally were as a human being, as humanity with him in that, those aspects of his human nature. John 1, 4 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word was made flesh. Jesus became human. But He never lost being the Word, the living Word. Athanasius, who lived around 300 A.D., give or take, was part of the Nicene Creed development. One of the early church fathers said, for, for he, Jesus, became man that we might become divine. Where's Jesus today? He's in us in our humanity. The divine is here. Now, I'm not saying that I'm God, but I'm saying the divine is here, working out of me working in me, working through me to spread the light to the world. This is what the early church taught. He became man that we might become divine, and he revealed himself through a body that we might receive an idea of the invisible Father. And he endured insults from men that we might inherit in corruption. Where is the Father right now? In relationship to you, where is the Father? In us. Where's the Holy Spirit? In us. Where's Jesus? In us. Why? Because Jesus never lost his divinity, and he's always connected to the Holy Spirit and the Father, because if he wasn't, what, what would happen? We've talked about it before. If Jesus, at the moment of expiring on the cross, no longer was connected to the Father, what would have happened? The world would have collapsed. Everything would have ceased to exist. Because everything is sustained through Jesus' divinity. And so the Father is in us, the Son is in us, the Holy Spirit is in us because they've never lost their connectedness even when he was born of the flesh. Now, did Jesus as a 
three-day-old recognize the father? Probably not. He, what was he more concerned about in his humanity? Food, milk, getting his diaper changed, right? <laughs> but somewhere by the time he's 12 years of age, he's recognized as more, more aware and in tune with God than the, than the Pharisees of the time because he's at the temple teaching them instead of them teaching him. So somewhere between that first couple of days and 12, there was this unpacking of his divinity inside of him. I think that must have been pretty cool. John 14, 8 and 9 says, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, so why are you asking me to show him to me? See, and we, we read that verse and we think, well, if we, if we st- look at what Jesus says about himself and we act like that, then we'll be acting like the Father. But Jesus is saying, no, if you see me, Norm, if you truly see me, you see the Father because we can't be separated. And, I, and there's something about that awakening in me, and I hope in the future, if not already for you, there's something about awakening to the Father that's just inspiring a sense of security dad's got my back dad's got my needs because what do dads do what are dads supposed to do love on you nurture you provide protect defend you see Dads do that. And the more I connect to the Father in, that's connected with Christ in me, the more I can go. But there's this shift to get there. Because in the natural, that's not what most of us have experienced. You know, there's been aspects of those that our dads, our earthly dads, have carried out, but not necessarily all of those. So, okay, I write, okay, so what? What about all this? And C. Baxter Kruger, who is the one that wrote the book about darkness and the one that, that we studied and the one that, the, the Great Dance, that book, he is this Trinitarian guy that is so sold out to under, trying to understand this. And he wrote an article called The Truth of All Truths, and it's on his website. <clears throat> and he comments, when we hear the name of Jesus today, we instinctively think of an individual man who lived, died on a cross, and rose again. These things are, of course, true, and Jesus is a real man. He did live and die and rise again and ascend to the Father. Our difficulty is not here, but in the fact that we do not see any real connection between Jesus and ourselves and what happened to him in his death, life, death, and resurrection. To our minds, Jesus' death was an act of God for us, but it did not involve us which means his act of birth was an act that was about him that did not involve us. But the reality is, it did. And that's part of the shift in grace that we've been walking into. His death and resurrection were things that happened to him. Excuse me, uh, let me go to the next line. They were intended for our benefit, but we were spectators. And in no sense were we connected to him in his death and resurrection until we do something. That's what we were taught. There's no connection until you say the sinner's prayer, right? But at the moment of his birth, 
there was total connection to humanity. And at his death, burial, and resurrection, there was still total connection to humanity. So all of humanity has been included in what he's done, but not all of humanity is aware of it and awakens to it. A lot of humanity lives in darkness. A lot of humanity lives in a loveless life, not loved by Dad, not loved by this triune God who says, I love you. But in the darkness of it, because the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in all of humanity, they're going, in the midst of their, our darkness, they're calling out, see the light? See the light? Let me show you more light. Let me show you love. Let me show you unconditional acceptance. And, and for, for, some, you know, for most of us, that led us down the path of legalism to, at first. But you know what? That's okay. Because you know why? Because now we're at the path of grace. It got us here. Okay? And so we can't, we can't condemn that because it led us to that. Because in the midst of even illegalism, that mindset, which is darkness in and of itself, he's still saying, but there's more. There's more. And deep down, we long for that more to manifest. And so now and we started crying out, God, there must be more. Show me more. And now it's today, it's like, God, show me where the darkness is and show me the light in the darkness. Because <laughs> I still have darkness. I'm not a perfect husband. There's still darkness in that relationship. And I'm not a perfect pastor. I don't know everything. So I have the bishop here to keep me on track. Your father plays dominoes better than my father plays dominoes. <laughs> Such a Jesus makes perfect sense to us in our individualistic mindset, but it betrays the Jesus of the apostle and of the early church. The apostolic Jesus is the Father's eternal Son and the, anoint, the one anointed in the Spirit, and he is the one in and through and by whom all things were created and are constantly sustained. The triune God is constantly sustaining you and me and our families, even those who in their stubbornness won't give up the dark. Right? Because he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He is with them today. We can't call them the weakest link because that's not true. They're not the weakest link. And they're not in double jeopardy. <laughs> Go ahead. Pose it as a question. <laughs> I think the thing that amazes me is that what came on is we see everything from the life of a spectator. Yes. We watch the things unfold and we don't realize the connection, which is what so much of the church does. They see it as, and when you show the major scene, isn't that pretty? We see the cross, isn't that terrible? But we don't see ourselves connected yes. to it. Yes. We have become a nation of or people of sitting and watching. And then, I remember when I first came to Christ, it was... I want. I wanted to be part of him, and nobody had ever told me how. 
nobody ever told me that I always was a part of him. Mm -hmm. And that's where grace is. Mm -hmm. You've always been a part of him. Mm -hmm. and, and in that mindset of being a spectator, when, when fungus-contaminated tissue was, in, was infused into my eyeball, as a spectator, I would have said, God, what the H happened? Why did you allow this to happen? Where were you? Isn't that, that's just unthinkable. But my response was, and I think it's because I've gone beyond the spectator mode, is why not me? Isn't he still there? Isn't he still working in the midst of that? And am I not better equipped knowing that my connectedness to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to walk it out than someone who, who just has no clue? You implant that tissue in someone who's walking in total darkness and they're going to get driven deeper into darkness. And so for me, it was like, it's okay. God's got it. You know? And I walked that out for a number of weeks and got, only got shaken when the surgeon, local surgeon said, I'm not doing the surgery the second time. And I went, that's when I, that's when I quivered. And then I could identify with Abraham. But I came back to the place of, it's okay. Through his incarnate life, death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus Christ has established his relationship with his Father, his relationship with the Holy Spirit, his relationship with fallen humanity and broken creation inside our darkness and sin. And at the time that this all happened, humanity had fallen because there had not been a resurrection yet. And and humanity was broken. Creation was broken. Creation cries out for the sons of God to rise up. And inside our darkness and sin and unrighteousness and treachery, I mean, you, you don't have to read much of the gospel stories to figure out the treachery going on in the Sanhedrin. How are we going to get rid of this Jesus? Yeah. And what do they do? They pay people to lie. Oh my gosh, does that sound like today? <laughs> using our own rejection of him as his way of relationship. Submitting himself to our murder, he transformed our betrayal into our adoption and our fallen humanity into the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wow. And this gets, kind of gets ahead a little bit to Easter, but, but in humanity murdering Jesus, he goes, you've done your worst, now let me show you my best. Think about that. You've done your worst, but now I'm going to show you my best. I mean, the ultimate darkness taking another person's life, right? And he goes, but I'm still God. In the midst of your humanity and my humanity, you've done your worst, but now in the midst of my humanity, my godness is going to rise up in you because I'm going internal to you. Now, how that happens mechanically, I don't know. I don't need to know. I just know He's here. And He's calling out in my darkness, what about this? Let me show you this. Let me show you what true love is. And by the way, let's go take that love to someone else. And so this, this weekend, we get to take love to people. In the person of Jesus Christ, the life of the triune God is united with the human race and with all creation. 
in him fallen humanity has been adopted and broken creation has been lifted up into the Trinitarian life of God. The very identity of Jesus Christ, this Christological affirmation, is the gospel to be proclaimed, and it is the starting point of the proper Christian thought, the non-negotiable truth to be obeyed at all costs. We cannot truly understand grace unless we understand the Trinity and the human side of the Trinity being Jesus. Jesus is grace and truth. When he came in the flesh, he came to manifest grace and truth. That's manifesting in us all the time. I can try to suppress it. I can numb it with alcohol. I can deny it with drugs. But he's going to keep bringing it up. And I think when people hit rock bottom sometimes, that's because the, that's the moment that they finally surrender themselves to the humanity of God and say, help. Because internally they know there's all, no other choice at that point. Some of us have been there. I know people that have been there in the depths of, the, of, of drugs and, and, and one day they just wake up and go, I can't do this anymore. Jesus, help. And some of those people have testimonies that they were instantly delivered of drug addictions. No cravings. Now, think about this. If he is in our fallen humanity and, and we have been adopted and, and, broke, as broken, and our broken creation has been lifted up, into the Trinitarian life, why do we call down healing? Why not just say, Dad, there's some darkness called sickness in my body right now, and I believe that you're in, in the midst of that re releasing the light of healing. I'm beginning to rethink some books I read early on that I didn't understand, one of which was Agnes San Sanford wrote a book called The Healing Light. And I didn't quite, and this was back in the 70s she wrote this book, or maybe not, maybe even before that, maybe in the 50s now that I think about it. But she always talked about this healing light that would, that would bring healing to people. And her mission was to just connect with people to release the light in them. Instead of calling down the light to invade the body, talk to the Jesus in the body. Talk to the human Jesus who's experiencing what we're experiencing, saying, you know what, this sucks. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to submit to your light in the midst of this darkness because I haven't figured out how to get out of it yet. Right? Even still today, about 2060 with double vision. God, we're walking around with double vision. What, do you, what are we going to do here? Right? And believing that he's at work releasing the light of healing in me. Colossians 1.20 in the New Living Translation. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in the heaven and on the earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Do you have peace with Jesus today? Can you rest in Jesus today? Can you rest in the Christ in you knowing that he, everything you're experiencing he fully identifies with? And when you encounter that, that sibling who just thinks you're nuts, tomorrow or later today can you love them can you share a kind word because that's more likely to tap the Jesus in them than oh you are just it's just my sister <laughs> I mean I'm going to share this story I got my hair cut Friday isn't that nice it's probably out of place today but 
My barber, I have been... <laughs> yeah, I understand that those who are follically challenged may not relate to this, but, but my barber I have been going to since 1984, and he's downtown. There's a barber half mile from my house, but I choose to go downtown. And in 30 plus years, 34 years, I've never heard him speak ill of a single person. I've never heard a bigoted, prejudicial statement out of his mouth. He goes when he has his customers get sick and can't get to him, he'll go to them. And for ever since I've known him, he has taught 10, 11, and 12-year-old girls how to pitch fast-pitch softball. I mean, he has this gift. He has taught thousands of girls to pitch softball and never charged a dime. And those kids come back when they're adults and say, will you teach my daughter? <laughs> and he was telling me about this guy. He's, he, he's, he's a member of one of the local American Legion posts. And there's this one guy that nobody can get along with except him. And he said to me, I don't know why I can't get along with him. And he told me I could use this story. And I said, I know why. And he said, why? I said, because of all the people I know in my life, you're one of the most representative of Jesus I've ever met. And he didn't know what to say. He was stunned. Is he perfect? No. But he goes out of his way to make people at ease. He goes out of his way to compliment and encourage. And when he's teaching these young girls how to pitch softball, he's tapping into a part of their destiny and calling them into, into a place in life where they'll have confidence and they'll have boldness. And sometimes, you know, with pitchers, they, they, something comes up and they start can't throw a strike. They'll call him and, he's, and he'll go out and in three minutes he can identify the technique that's been, that they have shifted and adopted this, the wrong technique, correct it, and they start throwing strikes. Isn't that what Jesus does? When we, when we, get, out of, when we get out of our pattern of connectedness to him and we start throwing balls instead of strikes, doesn't he just come in and go, tweak? That's what we're called to do. That's what living out of the incarnation in us is to release the love, to release the kingdom, which is actually Jesus, to others. I've come to realize that the kingdom is Jesus. It's not some ethereal thing out here. It's Jesus here and here and here and here and there and there. It's Jesus on display. The birth of Jesus is the beginning of the incarnational reality that continued on the cross, in the grave, in the resurrection, and in the ascension, and into the now. It never, ever ends, and it will never end because he's always going to be human. And though he reaches out to the world, through, through us, he reaches out to the world to shed his light abroad in the hearts of all humanity. You really are the instruments of his expression of love to the world. Could he, could he not zap everybody and change them in a split second? Sure he could. Why doesn't he? Because they wouldn't understand it. <laughs> you get 
to display Jesus. And as we move into worship here, I want you to just kind of think about what the birth triggered and has never ended. I really like to see that become so second nature to you, the incarnational aspect of this living human God. God, human, human, God, God, human. Never to be separated, never to be separated from you. And always always there to the people you reach out and touch. Whether it be with a word, with a with a hand touch, coming alongside of to help in the moment of trials for them, whatever it may be, the demonstration of Jesus through you is the manifestation of the incarnation to humanity. Amen?